This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, friends. We have a great episode coming at you in just a couple of minutes from uh, Tommy Beer. Tommy Beer, everybody's favorite Twitter follow, the man behind so many stats and interesting insights about the Knicks. Um, we had a great conversation, talked for about 40 minutes, uh, and we wanted to get it in before your holiday travels. So um, that's why a little bit of a late afternoon release today. Just a public service announcement. This will be the last podcast until after this weekend. Um, we will not have an episode coming out on Monday morning, uh, just because I am covering the game on Sunday, and it is going to be a little hectic uh, that day. So instead, Jeremy and I are going to record our usual podcast, uh, Sunday Conversation. We're going to record that on Monday night. So the next episode of the Knicks Film School podcast that you will hear will be on Tuesday. Um, So just, you know, plan accordingly if you have to listen to some other Nick's podcasts, um, you know, I, I hate to do that to you. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, they're all great, so plenty of content elsewhere for you, but we'll be back with you uh, with another episode on Tuesday. And uh, before we get to uh, Tommy Beer, just a quick reminder. You know him well by now, our friends at Vivid Seats, the top sorts for tickets and events that you want to go to. Listen, guys, we're like less than a month away from Christmas. I'm sure you got family coming in town. I I know personally when I can't think of what to get uh, my mom and, um, you know, it's just because she she, she is the woman who has everything. Um, I get her theater tickets because it's something to do and it's like, hey, I put some thought into this. Of all the different Broadway shows out there, I picked this one for you to go to. How great of a son am I? Um, And, of course, I did that through Vivid Seats which you could download in the App Store or Google Play. You're automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, um, and every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. Don't forget, if you haven't downloaded Vivid Seats already and used it once, um, use promo code OVERTIME at checkout, and you'll receive a discount of up to $100. One more time, enter promo code O promo code O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E at checkout and receive a discount of up to $100. Let's get to Tommy Beer. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. You know I could not send you on your holiday travels without a very special episode to get you through some of that, um, maybe dragging family time. And uh, I, I saved the the very special guests for, you know, those types of, those types of moments when you, you really just need 
to hear some good quality Knicks talk. Um, and this is one of my favorites. He's been on a few times, and he was kind enough to join me again. Of NBC and Forbes, Tommy Beer. Tommy, uh, how long has it been? It's been a few months, I feel like, right? Been a minute, J Mac. And I, let me just say that if anyone, your family, your Thanksgiving must be going really rough if you need the Knicks as a respite <laughs> from. <laughs> from the stressors of of, uh, of of family life. But, uh, yes, there's certainly uh, – hopefully the Knicks can be a good distraction if there's uh, some nonsense going on. The, the lesser of two evils? I don't know. Yes. True, true, true. Less consequential. Um, well, the, so we're recording this, we should say, at 3 o'clock on Wednesday. I'm going to uh, – I'll get this out before um, their game tonight. Um, for anybody who's doing any traveling. So we don't know, obviously, what the result will be. But I figure we could bounce around a couple of things because it's been, you know, we've played 17 games now. And um, I think it's deep enough into the season to at least begin conversations about what this team actually is as opposed to what this team, like, might be or could be or, or you know, what didn't happen over the summer and, and all that stuff. Just let's start here. Um what are your general takeaways so far? You're as tapped into this team as anyone. Um, so how are you feeling? Um, huh, good question. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm not sh- uh, certainly not shocked at the record. I think we all knew that this was certainly within the realm of possibility. I thought they, their record would be a little bit better. Um, I will say I, I, I was shocked by some of the lopsided performances um i think they've played nine home games now uh, you know of their first eight they trailed by at least 28 points in in four of those eight games and that that's that's inexcusable you know a, a team shouldn't be should should be better prepared they've come out flat they lost to the kings when the kings were 0-5 and had the worst net rating in the league um, they got blown out by a Cavs team uh, the following sunday um that's obviously not one of the league's elite um so yeah i think it's somewhat startling in that respect um, again, but, but with that being said, you know, anyone that thought that, that the Knicks would be, you know, one of the three or four best teams in the league certainly wasn't paying attention. There were some flaws on the roster, but they did have some talent. Um, so, so the, while the roster doesn't surprise me, some of the, um, their inability to handle even, you know, that's kind of been a theme for the Knicks, you know, the last two decades or so, any type of success they, they haven't handled well. And, and in this case, even when they, even in losses, but they play competitively, it seems like they, they kind of get full themselves and um, come out flat the following game. So, so that's been disappointing. Um, I think Barrett's been good. He certainly a, uh, shows the promise as a solid building block potential. Um, Mitch Robinson needs to stay out of foul trouble. Mook Morris is uh, shooting well from the from behind the arc, uh, kind of historically well, actually. We'll probably get into that at some point. Um, and uh, our buddy French Frank has been uh, <laughs> certainly exceeded expectations, or, or not necessarily from us, but from many others um, as the starting point guard. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about our buddy. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, just just kind of bouncing around. I, I think it's uh, unfortunate that they that they can't even remain kind of in the playoff conversation. You know, through Thanksgiving, we'll see if they can turn it around a little bit. That the schedule says they probably won't. Um, so you know, the, unfortunately, we'll probably have to check ping pong balls and Anthony Edwards down in Georgia, or you know, Cole Anthony or some of the other college guys. We'll keep an eye on them. Um, you know, over the second half of the season. But uh, you know, still a lot of time to go. As you mentioned, 17 games. There's still a ton of season left. If they can, you know, play around 500 for the next 10 games or so, maybe stay in the sniffing distance of that eight seed. Um, we'll see if they can, uh, you know, at least uh, hold our attention for a little bit longer than usual. 
Um, I think that's you, you pretty much summed it up uh, as well as possible. I, I you hit a couple different points that I, I want to get into a little further. Um, the the first because you sent out a tweet. I was looking through your Twitter before, and you had a tweet. Um, I guess you sent it out at halftime of the San Antonio game, which put into perspective just how um, like out of the not out of the blue because it's the Knicks and nothing the Knicks do is ever truly out of the blue but like if there was ever a game that you would have expected them to come out and be competitive from the start it was that one and they and they did the exact opposite and as you said it's been like that a few different times this season I'm I'm almost wondering like from your from your vantage point if the if the record was the same and you know the 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 play was you know everybody else was pretty much doing as they are but they didn't have those I want to say it's now like a handful because the Detroit game really wasn't close um I don't know what category you put that that Bulls game in where they they were tied in the fourth or up in the fourth quarter and then they lost by 20 um do you think the narrative because the narrative around the team I feel like around the league is it's the Knicks it's a disaster they're one of the worst teams in the league do you think if they haven't had the if they had another those blowouts we'd be we'd be thinking differently about this team like okay they're right on the cusp um we just need to give it a little bit more time as opposed to here comes another I mean I don't know what people would predict now for how many games they're going to win but it's not very much. Yeah no I, I, unfortunately not I think you know you 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 certainly uh, are well aware that people are going to come into the season with narratives in place and that are going to find reasons to make sure that whatever they their, their presuppositions fit into whatever happened. So even if they had lost, well said. <laughs> you know, even if they lost each game by one, there would be folks that said "LOL Knicks" and yada yada yada. So I, I think that would certainly be the case. I think it's more for um, maniacs like us that follow the team on a on a day in day out basis, and and the fans that are listening that are skipping, you know. Thanksgiving di- dinner um, to, uh, to 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 uh, get a little stress relief in, in the form of some Knicks talk um, that have been most disappointed um, by the um, by the performances in those contests in particular. Um, but yeah, for the the narrative at large was set coming into the season, and it would have taken something kind of startlingly, you know, very surprisingly positive to, to change those opinions. Um, and and I think that's kind of what disappointed most Knicks fans is that had they won some of those early games. Um, they would have been able to kind of shift that a little bit and, and maybe created some momentum and that momentum would have built upon itself. Um, but even close losses, I think um, uh, certainly Mills and Perry and, and Fizdale to a certain extent came into the season. Um, and that's kind of something I've been, uh, that I've tweeted about and, and kind of harped on that this was a season to take a step forward and moral losses, you know, moral victories need not apply this season. And, you know, so even if they were competitive in some of those games um, for the public at large, I don't think that would have changed the narrative. You mentioned disappointment. I, I, I can't think of. So that's the kind of the funny thing about this team is if you look up and down the roster at the guys who have actually been playing consistent basketball. I don't know that you could really say that anyone, except the guy that I'm about to ask about, and I'm sure you already have a clue who it is, has been a huge disappointment. Like, not you know, R.J. Barrett's been good. Mitch, in the minutes he's been out there, has been good. Um, Frank's obviously been a revelation. Dennis Smith Jr. I almost put into a different category because of what what happened to him. So we could even leave him aside. But you know, Morris. You mentioned the shooting. Um, you know, his defense has been has been strong. Taj 
you know, nice effect so far. Ellington, obviously the shooting has been shaky, but like he's even had some moments. And then there's Julius Randle. Um, you've tweeted a bit about Julius Randle of late and how kind of staggeringly inefficient he's been. My biggest question at this point in the season for just focusing on what's going on with this team right now is, is this, is what we're seeing from Julius Randle more a Julius Randle issue or is this more a Fisdale, you know, and even to a certain extent, the front office and the pieces they did or did not put around Julius Randle, um, is it an issue more on their end or do you see it as just like it's it's all kind of together in one big pot yeah I think they both shoulder some responsibility and blame and just real quick um I think the Dennis Smith Jr. not playing well especially to start the season you know before even the unfortunate situation with his family his first four games were as probably as bad as 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 could possibly anyone have a vision you know absolutely and I should I shouldn't have glossed over that and regardless of if that was conditioning or not it's on him to yeah not be that bad as he was so right true, but, very true. So, maybe that family situation before her stepmom passed away maybe she was sick and we never know what you know all that's going on with these guys um so so maybe that played a part in it um and i think as far as disappointment too, kevin knox over the last uh, you know in november um has been been, been uh, disappointing oh, as well. we're, we're gonna get to young mr knox <laughs> <laughs> um as far as randall as far as randall is concerned um i'm not shocked that he's kind of struggled in in the in the, in the, the way that he has um I, I am I am surprised he's not as as posted as high a field goal. You know, he's it's weird. Even when he was shooting, you know, almost fifty five percent, and I think that was kind of the appeal coming into the season over the last couple of years. You know, shooting above fifty percent from the floor, while still putting up sixteen, seventeen points a night. Even though he was shooting a high percentage, he wasn't overly efficient, if that makes sense. You know, he kind of got, you know, a lot of empty calorie baskets, you know, in, in games that weren't especially close, playing for some really bad Lakers teams um, over the second half of the season when he put up some great stats for the Pelicans. Um, they were obviously playing without Anthony Davis, and that whole season was was wrecked by the Anthony Davis trade demand um, and, and kind of the fallout from it. Um, yeah, as you, as you noted, you know, his, you know, shooting, he's the only player in the league um, that is shooting that is averaging over 14 field goal attempts per contest and shooting below 45 percent from the field goal uh, on field goals and below 65 percent from the free throw line. Um, you know, his, his true shooting percentage is, is far below what we've come to expect from him. Um, I think uh, he's m- missed a lot of shots that he probably um, would ha- has made in years past. Some I agree. Uncont- yeah. You know, some fadeaways. So I think those. Um, there kind of will be a, a progression to the mean. I, I think some of those shots will fall down. Um, I think he kind of got into a hole to start the season. That kind of that negative momentum kind of built on itself. I think he came into the season for the first time in his career as kind of the guy on a team, um, the highest paid player on the squad. I think he kind of shouldered that responsibility. Probably wasn't ready for it. Um, it's, it's that's a difficult thing to prepare for in, in you know the, the world's largest media capital. Um, and, and then of course there's the, the, the team component. They didn't surround him necessarily with complimentary pieces. Part of that was because uh, the, the players they probably would have preferred to get on the roster, you know, decided to, to sign with other franchises and, and, you know, the players that they kind of were left to choose from, uh, were left to choose from for a reason. You know, they, they allowed the Knicks to overpay them for the reason because other teams necessarily didn't want them. And then the other component is Fizdale's coaching, um, which would certainly have upset a lot of fans. Um, it's, where are it's, you at on Fizdale? Like, honestly, where are you at on him? Um, 
unfortunately, I don't think he's the guy for the job. Uh, I, I certainly don't pin the record on him. Um, he's been handed uh, a, a very subpar roster in the, you know, so what is it, 82 plus 17, almost 100 games now that he's coached with the Knicks. Um, so he, I, I don't pin the record on him necessarily. Um, certainly, uh, especially last season when it was clear that they were um, in, in the hunt for Zion. And they would, you know, decided to play the young guys, you know, sat Ennis Cantor and, and, and DeAndre Jordan the second half of the season, et cetera, and, and got the young guys playing time. This season, I think he, he shoulders a far greater share of the responsibility for the poor record. The team coming out flat, I think he definitely deserves um, some a, a decent slice of, 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 of the if – if the – if the total blame is a pie, he's got a you know a good couple slices there worth of blame. And uh, just from an X's and O's standpoint, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of ingenuity, you know, uh, kind of sets that that get guys easy baskets or, you know, out of bounds plays that, you know, we don't have to even get into the minutia. Um, but if you just watch the game on a night in, night out basis, everything seems to be a struggle. Um, you know, no, there's no much, easy baskets. There's no easy there's, baskets for this. There's game. very, very few, few and far between. You know, at least other teams have a couple plays where guys get easy. You know, it's uh, even easy dunks here. It's you know Dennis Smith penetration. And he throws a lob to. Uh, you know, it's based off of you know guys kind of beating their uh, their guys one on one, their their opponents one on one, as opposed to you know backdoor sets or um, just just putting players in the best position to succeed. Um, certainly we can talk about the the heavily the heavy involvement of isolation sets as opposed to cutting, you know, Knicks are, you know, I think 28th or 29th in the league in, in terms of cuts last time I checked, top five in the league in, in terms of isolation plays. And it just, and it just doesn't fit with the roster. Um, you know, the, the, the teams that are isolation heavy are, you know, the, the, the Nuggets with Jokic and the Sixers with Embiid, et cetera. It makes Knicks sense are, for those teams. It certainly makes sense when you look at the talent they have. Um, so I just, unfortunately, you know, I, I think the, the main selling point of Fizdale when they hired him, you know, 18 months or so ago was that he'd be kind of a, um, you know, they, they, they read the tea leaves. They were aware. They certainly were cognizant of the fact that when he got fired in Memphis, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Paul all tweeted out, this is a sham. This is a, this is crazy. Um, you know, we love coach Fizz. And I think they probably thought that he would be kind of the selling point uh, when they got sit down meetings with Kyrie Irving and the Kevin Durant's of the world. As we know, they never even got those meetings. So I think they were, that, that, that's a, that's a strike against Fizdale in that respect, that the fact that he wasn't able to, to bring in uh, the, the high quality players, at least get them, get them a seat at the table with those players, especially. Um, and then when you just look at the day in, day out, um, you know, how he prepares the team, I understand, it, it, you definitely get the sense um, that, that the team wants to fight for him. Um, at least they say the right things and it seems like he has a great relationship with the team, but the, 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 as we talked about those, those blowouts don't, don't speak well of their love for him. Um, uh, and so I, so I'm, I'm there. I, I, again, um, do I think he can be a good NBA coach in the, in the right situation? Certainly. I, I personally am of the opinion and I kind of preface this whenever I asked about a coach in any conversation, I think, especially the NBA coaches get far too much credit when teams are successful and far too much blame when, t you know, when, well when teams, yeah. you know, 
look, the the best coach in the you know the the best coach in the Eastern Conference didn't make it to the Eastern you know didn't win the Eastern Conference crown eight years in a row. The team that had LeBron James won the Eastern Conference title eight years in a row. You know, <laughs> um, whether it was Ty Lue or uh, you know or Eric Spolster, who's a good coach in my opinion. Um, but so all that being said, but at the same time, if you put a really quality coach, if you you know. Um, put that in, in with these troops i think they'd have a better record i think they'd have a more efficient offense a more efficient defense um so i guess it's a long-winded answer um to the question on fisdale so I, i'm not overly optimistic about his future um and i just don't i haven't seen enough to convince me because uh, and i guess kind of my last point related to fizz you know i as we know, Mills and Perry came out and said the first ten games were, un- were unacceptable. We're gonna, you know, we'll see how the next ten games go. The the and and that's the wrong way to look at it. I, I think that's important to know. That's uh, I agree. The Knicks record from here until Christmas is completely irrelevant. Irrelevant, you know, in terms of the big picture. The Knicks record from here until August fifteenth, uh, uh, April fifteenth, is completely irrelevant. The what you have to decide in terms of who's coaching this these players. Um, because again, to your point, um, the Knicks have a solid, promising core in place. It's not like it's the darkest time where people mistakenly kind of use, you know, the, the LOL Knicks. There are some promising pieces in place. So the question you have to ask yourself in terms of coaching and front office is: This the guy that you want in charge of and responsible for the development of R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Frank Nealakina, um, and, and Kevin Knox, and and also? Is Mills and Perry the the gentleman that you want deciding who coaches those guys? And and as far as Fizdale is concerned, I just haven't seen enough that I'd feel completely confident that he's the guy that should be, um, uh, you know, that that has deserved the opportunity to coach these guys once and, and take allow them and uh, enable them to take the next step in their and, development. And I, I don't know how anybody would say otherwise. I mean, I've been a Fizdale apologist. I'll, I'll yes. come out and admit it. And even I. I, I don't know what evidence that you would point to short of, um, you know, this idea that it's the devil, you know, um, right. It, right. It, and, it, and he's a charismatic guy. You yeah, want to, you know, he's easy to, to get behind. And... Yeah. Yeah. He just seems like he's a, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, it seemed like a good hire at the time. So I definitely can't knock him. Although just one, one last thing I was thinking about this the other day. Um, when you're this bad for this long, and I'll probably write about it at some point, Obviously, whenever you're good, there's a you know we 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 tend to de-emphasize the amount of luck that plays a part in it, um, but it certainly is there. And when you're this bad for this long, there has to be a certain uh, there, there there's definitely a good you know Dolan's to blame and the and the front office is to blame and and you know all this other stuff is to blame. Yes, there's but it's also bad luck. The Knicks were what you know depending on reports you believe. Steve Carr had agreed to become the coach of this team, yeah. you know, yeah. like it was it, they, the handshake, whatever, you know, like it was in the, I saw the reported, like it's done deal. He ends up going to Golden State and, and you know, being the first team in every history to make five straight finals. Uh, 18 months ago, it was sounds like it was down between him and, and, and Mike Budenholzer. Budenholzer goes to Milwaukee, obviously a different situation, but wins coach of the year. You know, he's going to get the coach Giannis, uh, you know, for X number of years and the Knicks get Fizdale. It's just funny how, you know, you just need so many breaks to go wrong. Um, for instance, nobody in their, anybody in their right mind would love to, to import um, Budenholzer into this group right now and see, you know, see how different the Knicks record would be. Oh, for sure. Games, you know, and, and that's not even a question. It, it's almost like, again, it comes down to me of, of like over the, you know, since, um, 
you know, whatever it is, Jeff Van Gundy left. It's been 20 years yeah. almost. Yep. Um, the only coach who's lasted beyond two seasons is, is obviously Mike D'Antoni. And, and that was kind of a weird situation because it was a two year pre-planned tank, um, you know, from, yep. from the yep. get go. And, and this is different. And there's just this, this part of me that says, well, you know, if we keep doing this and bouncing from guy to guy to guy, it's some, you know, yep. let's try yep. it differently. But again, you know, I'm th- I wrote myself yesterday in, in, in the Knicks Film School newsletter. I'm like, this team, like, why are they not running more? They, they, they're 29th in, in transition baskets off 100%. of, off of um, live rebounds. And then Fizz gets asked the question later in the day, well, hey, why haven't you guys run more? And his answer is, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 I laugh to keep from crying, I guess, because it's right. like you want to – you would you would hope that there is more to it than than oh I don't I don't know why we're not it, running but yeah I mean, this, you have you have fifteen guys that are capable of competing for roster spots. Exactly. But one benefit of that is you can run them ninety you know let them empty out their battery and bring the next group in yes. bring the next wave in you know your young guys all over minutes and the other thing um, when Fisdale the, the quote that kind of made the rounds, I guess it was two weeks ago now, when he was asked about isolations, he said, yeah, well, James oh, Harden, isol- uh, you know, God. I actually, I actually asked that question. I was the, I was the guy that asked that question. So I, you could, you could see me. I don't, you couldn't see me on the video because it was only Fisdale, but you could, if you could see my eyes rolling into the back of my head <laughs> you know, on that response after I asked the question. Um, I'm surprised but, your but, eyes didn't fall out of your head. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, to, to your point, um, it's, it's, it's hard to defend Fisdale this, this far. Yeah. And- and I guess the only question left is, is you know, to- but, but, but but to your point, just about familiarity, there's yeah. there is argument there, you know, like the old you know philosophy where you don't want Sam Darnold to have his third offensive coordinator in three years, and Daniel Jones. You do ideally there would be some consistency there, um, but again, you want the right guy and the right framework to build that consistency going forward. And you know? and, and f- I, I guess maybe it's for that reason that I, I'm still at this point, as crazy as some may find it, um, of giving him the rest of the year no no i yeah let me be clear i don't yeah. think he's fired any oh no yeah no i know i know you're and, on that or probably should be given the rest of the year at least at the very earliest wait until the after the all-star break give him 50 games and then we can discuss it but i think firing him at any time sooner than that would be foolish um and i also don't think it'll be happen no matter kind of what happens record wise because mills and perry are very cognizant of the fact that once they throw uh, Fisdale overboard. There's nobody else <laughs> so, left to feed the sharks. Exactly. There's and, no, yeah, the, the corner gets off. You know, you back yourself into the corner. And abs- absolutely. They know that the, that the, that they, the mob is going to start closing in on them. So they'll. I think they'll wait until the absolute last minute necessary to kind of feed him to the to the angry folks so, outside the two pin plaza. Let's talk. Well, it's it's probably maybe an appropriate transition to just talk about a couple players before I get you out of here. Um, it, Frank Nilkina is a guy who, if you, you know, it's funny. Earlier in the season when Fisdale didn't insert him into the starting lineup when he was literally the only active uh, healthy point guard on the roster, I kind of defended it because I, I bought, I, I at least understood his logic of we want to, you know, if he picked up two fouls and we would be in trouble and this and that. And I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily believe that's the reason he's doing it, but at least I could understand the logic. The point is, I I think if it was up to Fizz and maybe Perry, because we, we know that Mills has been the guy who's been a fan of Frank here, um, this guy would have been probably shipped out of here a while ago. And yet he's still here, and you wrote about him, um, I think it was actually just a couple days ago, and you noted he was kind of maybe the one bright spot in that San Antonio loss. And, and you, you quoted some numbers 
that I don't think people realize, you know, since he, like you, you said, since he's been inserted into the starting lineup, um, they're scoring more than 10 points more per game with him on the floor or per 100 possessions, excuse me, than when he's off. Um, ha- is he, like, the most exciting thing about what's happened this year? I mean, almost putting RJ aside because he's been, you know, I guess the ceiling is so much higher. Like, w- what are your big picture takeaways from Frank? I want to even put it on more of a long-term thing. Like, can, do you think there's a chance he's actually now going to be a guy who's around here for a while? Um, just <laughs> life of a Knicks fan. The most exciting part of the team is a guy averaging 7.9 points, you know? Um, <laughs> oh but, my uh, God. Put that but, on a poster. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think you're right, you know? And just, it, it's funny, you know, we talk about, you know, how luck, you know, kind of, you need bad luck. That's kind of some good luck. Yeah. I'm, to this day, I'm shocked that no GM was shrewd enough to steal him away from oh, what was reportedly t- a second-round answer. Tommy, I, I wrote my Frank goodbye piece. I wrote it yep. literally on the train into the city the night of the draft. I, I, I had two pages of it. I'm just like, well, he's, he's getting dealt tonight. I might as well have the thing ready. And it just didn't happen. Um, so, yes. So, you know, think you're lucky stars that, that we have, uh, you know, that, 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 that the Knicks didn't um, deal Neil Aquina at a, at a discount um, because he's given us a lot to, to um, certainly a lot to write about and discuss. He's kind of one of the more polarizing figures um, in, in, in New York uh, Knicks nation over the last couple of years, although um, the Nick haters have been awfully quiet uh, the last couple of weeks, even though they, they still pop up because they, they, again, it's only average of 7.8. You know, it's a funny thing about Nick fans. They complain, we want defense. You know, we want guys, we don't care about highlights. Just play hard and play defense. And then they get a guy that gives them exactly that. And, and some folks uh, still complain. But again, um, to their credit, it's so much of Nick's Twitter. And I know, um, you know, shout out to everybody on there um, that, that has kind of supported him and, and kind of seen the, the diamond that just need to be um, shined a little bit. And, and he's certainly shining right now. Um, yeah, as far as numbers, um, you know, it just the, the, his versatility uh, is is so valuable on a good team. Not necessarily a, a team that's bad. So Frank's true value, I don't think, hasn't even been uh, fully highlighted or, or brought to the to, brought to the surface yet. Um, but just as a starter, um, you, you mentioned that he started 12 games. He, he was inserted November 1st. Um, and as just to, to circle back to the Fisdale conversation, the fact that it took. Uh, Alfred Payton straining his hamstring and, and a death in Dennis Smith Jr.'s family to start, um, you know, to have the, the, the lack the foresight to start Frank Lankina and kind of being forced into it um, is also, I think, kind of a, a mark against Fizdale. Um, but as, as far as Neil Aquina's numbers are concerned, um, yes, the, the points aren't exciting. But 4.3 assists versus just two turn uh, 1.0 turnovers, 2.1 steals. Um uh, there's never been a player in, in, in league history that's averaged over four, st- uh, four assists and over, and over two steals um, in the same season while also committing one turnover or fewer. Uh, and that's what Neil Akeen is doing. Yes, it's a small sample size, only 12 games, but it's not difficult to envision him, his assists going up a little bit, him staying around two-plus steals a game. You know, maybe his up turnovers will go up a tick, but even at 1.5, and, and, and obviously, as you mentioned, the defensive value that he brings to that end of the floor. Um, and I think, to, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's not just his defensive value. They're, being, they're, they're far more efficient offensively uh, when he gets the ball in his hands. And I think as time goes on, he'll develop more of a little bit of, you know, he needs uh, he needs to steal some of Julius Randle's overconfidence. And yep. uh, Alonzo 
Trier's overconfidence. Be, and, you know, because if he just did that a little more and was a little more selfish, um, it's a fascinating. And we could talk about Frank obviously for hours, but I think it's a lot of it has to come has due to the fact that most of the Nick players came up through the ranks of AAU ball and and oh, one for in, sure, yeah, and one done college formats. Whereas Neil Aquina was was you know part of a, a French team, um, even though he was you know viewed everyone in the world knew he'd be a lottery pick going into the whatever 2017 season, whatever, um, you know, when, when he was playing uh, in, the, in the French Pro A League. But he was still coming off the bench, still averaging, you know, three or four shots a night in, in 15 minutes off the bench just because he knew his role. He knew not to be selfish, never got full of himself. Um, but again, a player that, you know, in, in the last six games, He's got 28 assists and four turnovers. You know that's a seven to one assist to turnover ratio uh, over six game sample size. That's the kind of value that he that, that you can just throw him out there. He's another head coach on the floor. Um, you know, it's solid, never never has a, a negative attitude. Never complains if a guy misses his shot. There's little things like that um, that that I think that even the the box score necessarily doesn't capture. You know, I remember you know obviously over a decade ago, but there was an article. I forget where it is now, but. They calculated the number of high fives Steve Nash gave his team. <laughs> and I remember that. Uh, you know, you remember that? Yeah, and, I and I just, that, that stuck with me yeah. because it's just something my dad, you know, my dad coached me in, you know, Little League Ball and and, 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 and PAL hoops leagues and stuff. And just always, you know, and he, so he was always hardest on me and, you know, to kind of just make it easy for the other guys. And I just, it's something that always stuck with me that it just so, it never, you know, always say, oh, my bad, even if it was, it just, he just kind of instilled that in me. Um, so I just, I, there is value there and we can't, we can't always, you know, put a, a statistical number and you know, I love numbers, but you can't always put, um, necessarily quantify that. But I think Nila Kina kind of encompasses those statistics. And again, he needs to knock down shots, yeah. you know, he, he needs to knock down that three pointer in the corner. And, the guard would have exploded, um, had he made that oh, shot. The, what the roof would have came off. And, and he yeah. also, he, at the same time, he also needs to get into the paint, uh, a little bit yes. more. There, there's too many possessions. And I, I know you see him too, where it's like, he gets right up to that foul line and it's like, there's, you know, there's an invisible brick wall and he has to pull it back because he just doesn't have that confidence yet, I guess, to, to continue yeah. going in. And he's had 10 years of coaches drilling in his head. You may, you know, even though that shot's a better percentage shot than a Julius Randle force, it's not the best percentage shot the Knicks can get. Yep. So Neil Akeen is trained, you know, it, it, you know, it's 10,000 hours, 100,000 hours of, of somebody saying, listen, do, do what's best for the team, not necessarily what's best for your own statistical, you know, benefit. Um, so he just kind of has to – that's ingrained in him as opposed to the other guys where it's one-on-one ball they've been playing their whole life and um, have the ability to create the, their own shots even though it's not necessarily the best shot. So, But I think you can see that it's slowly but surely um, trending, certainly trending in the right direction, certainly getting more confidence. And I think it's important even when Alfred Payton is healthy, should that be this weekend or next week, for Fisdale to say, listen, Frank, you're our starter. Don't look at me every time there's a turnover or you miss three shots in a row. You are our starter. You're going to be our starter for the next three months. Um, we trust you. We want you to take the reins of this team. Um, so we'll see if that actually is the case or not. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm making too much of it, but it was nice that coming off the Philly game where he had 17 points and he was actually hitting down a shot, this past weekend, um, you know, two games, neither of which did he shoot well, but he kept putting up shots when they were the right shots to take, and he was open. Yes. And, and again, 
didn't have a good shooting game in either one, but I almost look at that in an odd way as progress because, you know, maybe last season after he misses the first few of those, he, he just stops putting them up. And you could argue, well, in, in these games, maybe he would have been better served not putting those shots up. But again, it, it goes to like the long-term development of him. So um, hopefully that's uh, 100%. Something. I think yeah. we'll see real progress with Frank when he has an 0 for 10 shooting game, a 1 for 12 shooting game, because that means he'll miss nine shots in a row and still take another one in the same game. I think that'll actually be progress. Yeah, no, agree. Um, two, two more quick ones I want to hit with you before we get you out of here. Um, you mentioned R.J. Barrett. I, my, so I, I talked about Julius Randle as kind of my biggest short-term question or like immediate question with, with everything happening right now. My biggest, I think, long-term question, both for the rest of the season and and moving forward with this with this franchise, is how how much do we think that R.J. Barrett is going to be able to um, slash should uh, shoulder this offense? Like, I, I'm not trying to say that he is like a primary creator because I just I don't think he he has necessarily that type of game, but. Is he a guy that can be, you know, a co, um, a co primary? Let's say whether it's with Nilakina or somebody else. I feel like he's shown signs of when he has the ball in his hands, good things tend to happen. And again, he's only nineteen. He's played, you know, thirteen games. Um, I, I'm just curious where you come down on that specific kind of area with with RJ based on what you've seen so far. Yeah, I was higher on RJ than most, I think, coming into the season. You were, I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's kind of proven that, you know, that the, that the concerns were a little bit um, outsized, um, and, and I think he projects as a better pro than, than most folks assumed. Um, he's not – but I understand the skepticism. He's not flashy, um, only shot 30% from, the, from, the, from downtown at, at Duke from the College Street point line, only shot around 66% from the free throw line. Obviously, most importantly, he needs to shoot his – needs to make his free throws. Again, but um, to, to the kind of Neil Aquina point, what's very encouraging to me is that he's not afraid to get to the free throw line. He's still attacking the basket. Um, you know, even though he, he was shooting 44% for a while, he was still getting to the line, you know, four or five times a night. Um, he'll He'll eventually knock those down. Um, so I think as far as big picture, long term, I think he's a very I think he projects as a very good second banana on a good NBA team. You know, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I don't think he's going to be, um, you know, a, a top five MVP candidate necessarily. Um, but I think at his prime, at his peak, he can be, you know, contend for an all NBA spot. I think he does enough on both ends of the floor. He's actually a little bit better of a defender. He competes on the defensive end than I thought uh, he would coming into the season which is encouraging. Um, so I think if you can find another true superstar, whether it's through the draft or you sign you know, a, a top-notch for agent, I think he kind of um, is excellent as a, as a kind of jack-of-all-trades facilitator, rebounder, scorer if you need him to. Um, you know, if, he's, if his shot's not dropping, he can still do enough to help a team win. Um, so I, I think the future is bright for young RJ. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I I don't want to end on a down note, but I, I do want to talk about Kevin Knox because you mentioned it before. Uh, you sent out a tweet a couple of days ago about Knox's first six games of the season when he was, you know, super efficient. He was, you know, scoring 12 points a game, making a couple threes a game. And then his last 11 games, he's kind of fallen off a cliff. Um, and it's been, I, you know, I, I don't know, is his is he letting 
his like because it feels like their offenses are starting to target him a little bit more when he's defending. I don't know. Maybe he's letting that get in his head on the other end. I guess you know. Look, he's. I'm sure he's going to bounce back. I. This is almost you know Knox has kind of become someone I'm really going to look at as kind of like a touch point for this season because we've seen year after year and almost decade after decade this organization not follow through on commitments to young players or or for that matter draft picks before they've even been drafted and they were clearly 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 very high on Knox when they got him they were high on Knox all through last year they were high on Knox in in camp and I want to see I want to see what happens now because this is you know he's it's clearly he's struggling are they going to continue to make it a priority to get him right because I think we all know the talent is there um how are you what are you going to be looking for this season do you feel like it's the right thing to continue to send him out there for a certain amount of minutes every night do you think it's better for him to maybe take his his lumps in a way that okay you're not you not you don't have it tonight you're only going to play 10 minutes or 12 minutes what would you do with Kevin Knox uh, it's a good question I, and I see both sides of the argument um you know, I tweeted that, and a lot of folks tweeted back at me. Yeah, but check his minutes played. You know, at, but at the same time, you know, I mentioned the first six games of the season. Um, I can bring it up right here. He was averaging yeah, tw- twelve uh, points a game. 12 points, twelve points a game, shooting forty three percent from the floor, forty six percent from downtown. Um, his last six games, he's averaging four points, shooting twenty eight percent from the floor, twenty percent from three, and sixty two percent from the free throw line. Uh, to your point, I don't, you know, you got to earn minutes. And I think that's kind of what the Knicks came into the season saying, listen, once we get to February, when the Knicks are officially eliminated from playoff competition, we can kind of reassess, uh, you know, over the last 30 games. Uh, but he played a ton of minutes over the last 30 games last year. And has that helped him going into the season? Doesn't, it doesn't have the look of it thus far. Um, things I want to see from Knox. It's a good point. It's a good point. You know, things I want to see from Knox going forward, I want to see him keep his kind of tenacity. His body language kind of has concerned me a little bit. Um, you know, he, he just yesterday was reported that he was doubtful with a quad injury. So maybe, you know, he's, he's kind of fighting through some of them. But now he's listed as probable. So fortunately, we'll get another look at him tonight. Um, but he just kind of, when his shot isn't falling, he tends to, you know, um, get a little bit lackadaisical defensively. Um, with his length, and he's put on some weight, some upper body strength this season, he should be a much better defender than he is. Um, so even when your shot isn't falling, even when you're shooting 28.6% from the floor, that doesn't mean you can't give 100% on the defensive end. Um, so that's something certainly Fisdale and those guys are, are have kept an eye on, and at least they've given lip service to the fact that they want to see him improve on the defensive end. So we'll see kind of if he can bounce back from the shooting slump um, because the shot's going to fall um, you know, c- kind of unlike Barrett and, and Dennis Smith Jr., I have far more confidence with him taking uh, – uh, just because of his repeatable, repeatable delivery, gets his feet set. Sh- you know, from, from a mechanic standpoint, he has the shot, especially from a 6'9 guy with a high delivery that you want to see. So I think those shots will fall. Um, and if it doesn't fall, he's not an NBA player anyway. Um, so, I, I, again, I think those shots will, will eventually drop. Um, but he needs more than those shots to drop to justify being the eighth overall pick or ninth overall pick in the draft, a couple spots ahead of Shea Gilders, Alexander, et cetera. And to your point, that's kind of what, the, the, you know, uh, Perry will be judged on, the Knicks front office will be judged on, the development of this kid going forward. Um, and, yeah, so we, I, I, I also like the way he was attacking the, attacking the basket, um, you know, over the first um, – well, I got it up in front of me over the first 
seven games a season, um, got to the line 21 times. Um, he's gotten to the line uh, over the last um, five games. Um, he's only taken six free throws. You know, so Oof, that's kind that's of, that's not enough. <laughs> you know, it, it, three of those five games he didn't he didn't attempt a single free throw. Um, and uh, you know, and, and it's not like he's playing zero minutes, averaging 15 minutes a night. Sure, uh, yeah. and, in that stretch so um attack attack the 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 rim offensively he's you know he's worked a little bit on that floater um you know he wrong foots people and is effective at kind of leaning in and and finishing with his right hand something Fizdale's talked out just kind of a a nerdy x's and o standpoint one thing to keep an eye on him is when he takes off too far from the basket he tends not to finish and falls down and not get fouled something that i know Fizdale's worked on him um and, and the coaching staff extensively is 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 getting closer to the basket before leaving his feet um it 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 not only increases the percentage of the percentage you're you're going to make uh, when you're around the basket, but also increases the odds of you getting fouled, potentially getting N one or at worst getting to the free throw line. Um, so he's another guy like Barrett that shouldn't be leaving points. Um, you know he should be able to um, in his prime, you know, get to the free throw line seven eight times a game. And um, you know uh, the, the one other thing is you know to to be fair to defend him, I think he's out of position playing the two guard. Um, I'd like to see, I'd like, <laughs> just a bit, <laughs> just a bit, right? Um, obviously, I think that it's small forward at worst, but I, I think eventually his his spot in the pros is power forward. So I, I um, agree. He can learn a little bit from from Morris and those guys. We'll we'll see how he goes going forward. Uh, Tommy, we got through an entire episode without saying uh, the word tank or tanking. Um, I think we both deserve a small prize for that. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> as as for the next time I have you on, I don't know if we could we could say uh, <laughs> right, say right. the same thing. Um, thank you so much for for giving uh, more than a few minutes today. I, I re- truly uh, appreciate it. Tell the people. I mean, you're all over the place, but tell them where they can find you. What, what's going on with you? Yeah, anything you want. Uh, at Tommy Beer on Twitter, hit me up. Um, let's continue the conversation. Um, and, and J Mac, you do a great job with the fan, with the, with the letter. Um, I know I speak for many of us that we appreciate the hard work that you oh, put in Thank you, man. Thank and the you. great, and the great detailed, um, work that you do. Um, I know I enjoy it. So, uh, keep up the great work, my friend. You're the man. you like I said, you're one of my inspirations. Um, and, uh, I look forward to your continued great stuff as well. Again, if you're not, I, I if you're listening to this podcast and you're the, one of the two or three people, uh, not following Tommy Beer on Twitter, you should probably do so because he has great stuff and, uh, read him on Forbes and, and, uh, and NBC and the whole thing. Um, and everybody out there, uh, I will hear, you'll hear from me. Um, I think the next time will be on Monday after the Thanksgiving break. Take a couple of days off. Enjoy your turkey, your, your day after sandwiches. Um, you too as well. Uh, Tommy, are, are you, are you cooking? I should ask, or are you, are you having no, food cooked go, for go, you? Go, go to my brother and sisters-in-law. So I'm going to watch my lions lose and, <laughs> and then stuff my face. <laughs> so, it. uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Everybody out there, have a great one, and we'll talk to you soon. Good evening.